At 10.30 p.m. on that bingo night, Mary began phoning neighbors, relatives, Jack's playmates. She tried waking her husband again, but he didn't stir. She grabbed Rosie by the arm and walked the darkened streets, softly calling, Jack! Jack! When there was no response, she returned home and phoned the police. My son hasn't come home, she said. She was told that they couldn't take an official missing persons report until the individual had been gone for 24 hours, but they would send an officer. It was after midnight when the patrol car pulled into the driveway. A uniformed cop advised her through his open window to check with Jack's friends. I did, she said. Was he in the habit of staying out at night? No, never. He's scared of the dark. He's either hurt or there's something wrong. Then she remembered the man who'd come to the door. Art, somebody. She wondered why she hadn't thought of him earlier. She told the cop how he'd seemed overly interested in her boys, especially Jack. The cop asked, What's the guy's name? Where does he live? She asked him to wait. Little Pete was sitting on the side of the bed. The fisherman, she said. What's his name? Art, said the boy. Art who? Just Art? Where's he live? I think maybe Cloverdale. Mary passed the information to the cop and handed him a photograph of Jack. After the patrol car drove off, she made more coffee and lit another cigarette. She didn't know what else to do. The more she thought about Art, the more she wondered if he was involved. She paced the living room while poor, frazzled Rosie tried to comfort her. Everyone else was in bed. She thought, Jack didn't run away. He's a happy kid. Not one of my kids has run away. Jack's white cat rubbed against her leg. The stray had wandered into his life like all his other pets, turtles, snakes, and birds. They seemed to comfort him. She thought, Jack would never leave his cat. She checked the boy's room again. Little Pete lay on the lower bunk, his eyes closed. Nothing seemed missing or out of place. Jack's baseball cap hung from a nail. Let's go, she told Rosie. Where? the child asked. Cloverdale. Most of Watertown lay uphill from their house in the river bottom. They trudged up Pearl Street to Starbuck Avenue, then six blocks along the New York Airbrake property line, next to two huge smokestacks marked with NYABC in fading letters. Mary felt woozy. She wasn't completely recovered from female surgery two weeks earlier. Rain dripped from her nose to her shoes, but she hardly noticed. She hadn't even put on a raincoat, nor had Rosie. The poor child cried the whole way. Being raped had made her fearful, but Mary needed company. The two-story brick apartment house lay in stark profile against the big playground to its rear. A police car jerked to a stop just as they arrived, and Mary recognized the officer who'd come to the house. He didn't seem to object as they followed him across the wet lawn and into the office where he searched the tenant list. With Mary and Rose standing behind, he knocked on the door of apartment 233. The man named Art answered so quickly that Mary was sure he'd been peeking. 
The apartment was dark behind him, but he was fully dressed. A woman in a bathrobe stood alongside. At first, Mary couldn't hear the conversation, but the man seemed to be talking normally. "'Where's Jack?' she cried out. "'Where's my son?' Bart said, "'Jack Blake? Last I seen him, he was on the cement blocks in the park.' "'When was that?' she asked. "'This afternoon he was playing with a boy named Jimmy.' Out of Mary's earshot, the policeman resumed his questioning. Then the apartment door swung shut, and he headed toward his car. Mary hurried to keep up. "'What else did he tell you?' she asked the cop. "'Nothing.' "'But that guy's been hanging around Jack.' "'Lady, we can't arrest a guy for hanging around.'